Welcome, welcome, welcome back to week 11 of Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J, and wow, you all had quite a bit to say after episode 10's revelations about Tara's encounter with a young attorney with whom she worked with. Now, I want to go ahead and let you in on something right now. More people are continuing to speak out every single day, and you know who you are. And as a reminder, I thank you more importantly the bakers thank you more than you will ever know, and I think your bravery speaks volumes. Now, I've often loved the quote from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And I think that's really true. You see, Tara Baker mattered. Jennifer Stone mattered. Daniel Messias mattered. And nationally, let us not forget during these times that the black lives of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd mattered, too. This week, I wanted to focus on where Tara lived, though, who lived around her, and what could have possibly been going on in this Eastside neighborhood back in 2001, and if any of that might shed light on who killed Tara Baker, and more importantly, why. So far, we've explored people within Tara's closest circle, people that have been mentioned by reports of years past. The classmate, the boyfriend, the attorney, Tara's biological father even. And some of those theories, when the puzzles are all turned the right way, could make you lean in one direction or another. But remember when I told you early on that just when you think you've had it figured out about Tara's case, something else comes along and literally changes everything? Well, I meant it. Tara lived at 160 Fawn Drive with her roommates Valerie and Ashley back in 2001, and they moved into their east side neighborhood off of Lexington Road in late summer of 2000. They're actually doing exactly what many of you are doing right now, moving into their dorms, moving into their homes, prepping for the school year ahead. Now, this neighborhood was fairly new, a property built and managed by Hancock Properties, and I believe the property was built around, let's say, 1996. And folks I have talked to remember it as a place to get away from the hustle and bustle of downtown life, something that I probably should have done a little bit sooner in my lifetime here in Athens. Though further out from the university and downtown party scene, this community was not immune to the typical crimes that plague college student housing communities. And trust me, I'm speaking from experience here. I have personally witnessed crime in student housing. I was in that business for around three years, and crime really does happen no matter how hard you try to prevent it. But in 2000 and 2001, there was an extremely long string of car burglaries, thefts, break-ins, and a fire. And no, I'm not talking about the fire at Tara's home, which would give anyone a little bit of pause, right? On this episode, you'll hear from two survivors of crime in Deer Park who tell their story of their fear and sense of security being robbed. This is Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. I'm going to apologize in advance for you having to listen to me drone on for a few minutes here, but I want to give you a real clear picture of crime in Deer Park and what was going on there, what it was like. As the result of an open records request of all crimes in the community from the year prior to Tara's murder, I was actually shocked to find out of similar stories from its residents. 
I'm going to go through now a list of some of those incident reports, well, mostly all of them, from Deer Parkway, Fawn Drive, and Deer Court, which make up the Deer Park community, from January 2000 to January 19, 2001. Stay with me. On January 7, 2000, one year before Tara's murder on Fawn Drive, a burglary occurred. A rock was thrown through the kitchen window and someone entered the residence and stole $300 cash, $100 worth of coins, and a few men's watches. On January 24, 2000, a year before Tara's murder on Deer Parkway, another burglary occurs. A man is sleeping when a bump in the night wakes him up and he opens his bedroom door to find a man wearing sweatpants and black sneakers standing in his living room. The tenant said the front door was unlocked though and that was probably the point of entry. Police say they did take prints from this scene. Moving right along to February 8th of 2000, on Deer Parkway again, officers respond to yet another burglary. This time, a woman states her treadmill, get this, was on when she returned home. She said it had happened before, but this was the second time it had happened, appearing to have been used by someone entering her home. Moving right along, May 4th, 2000, Deer Parkway. A woman's home is broken into and robbed, CD cases scattered about the bedroom floor. Now get this, mud was noted on the carpet, and the window appeared to be the point of entry. Stolen were a phone and a camera. May 15, 2000, again, Deer Parkway. Criminal trespass to property. Officers respond to what appeared to be a car burglary, but nothing was noted to be stolen. On June 8th, 2000, just one month before Tara, Ashley, and Valerie move in on Fawn Drive, an entering auto incident occurs. Officers respond to a car break-in, once again taken with CDs, CD changers, and shattered the passenger window to gain entry to this car. Latent prints were taken into evidence per the report. On June 8th, 2000, same day, another car on Fawn Drive. Another person's car entered into, CDs along with the radio's faceplate, which becomes a common theme here, appear to be missing. On June 25th, a few weeks later, 2000, back to Deer Parkway, entering an auto, an AM-FM stereo was stolen along with a CD player, but no signs of forced entry were found on this vehicle. The owner notes he could have left it unlocked. July 24th, 2000, around the time that Tara moves into Deer Park, this happens on Fawn Drive, another car break-in, a CD player and entertainment center are stolen from a Jeep. No prints, though, were supposedly able to be found. On July 25th, the next day, another entering auto incident, another car broken into, more CDs stolen, more no prints being discovered. The only thing missing from the inside of the car, once again, the faceplate of a CD player. On July 25th, 2000, on Deer Parkway, there was also a car broken into, stolen, you guessed it, a CD player. There was forced entry on the passenger side of this car, but the officer said weather would not permit printing. Now we move into reports that reflect the time in which Tara and her roommates were getting adjusted to life at 160 Fawn Drive, starting their semester at the University of Georgia. And still with me, good. On July 25th, 2000, Deer Parkway, another car incident, more CDs stolen, more weather not permitted. On August 2nd, 2000, on Fawn Drive, a stolen CD player and another faceplate of a CD player were stolen. On the second, at another location on Fawn Drive, the same thing occurs. On 821 of 2000, more CDs are stolen from a car. 821 2000 Deer Parkway, 
Entering Auto, Stolen are a Pioneer Woofer, Amplifier, Carpet Speaker Box, Electronics, and a Pioneer CD Player. 821, more car theft on Deer Parkway, but in this case, two males were actually seen breaking into the vehicle, and police are actually able to take someone into custody. A Mr. Williams is taken into custody, and he says one of his co-conspirators, which I do not know if he was ever arrested, was, quote, Mr. Hood. On 827, there was a custody dispute, not really anything of note there. On 930, there was a burglary at a home, which was ransacked and CDs were stolen inside of the home, but nothing else appeared to be missing. On 11-16-2000, just three months before Tara was murdered, on Fawn Drive, there was an entering auto incident, CD player taken along with 15 CDs, but guess what? No success in processing the scene. Story continues, another car on the same day on Deer Parkway broken into, prints were taken there. On 11-29, 11-30, and 11-20, we have more cases of cars being broken into, CDs being stolen, and a Texas instrument calculator. Students, you know how much that one is. And finally, in December of 2000, one month before Tara's death on Deer Parkway, a vehicle was broken into, but nothing appeared to be stolen. But again, we see a muddy footprint enter the scene. We've seen that several times in the other incident reports. So these are all really interesting, and I know that was a lot to get through. Thanks for your patience. But there is something even more interesting, and that is a police report which didn't come out in this open records request. I have followed up on it, but a story has come out. I want you to meet T and H, who spoke with me anonymously, who were roommates in a Deer Park duplex back in 2000 to 2001, and their story is really going to shake you a little bit. The two reunited after I reached out to them about the podcast, and it took me back to the good days when they both called on the same line to chat together. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you both for taking time to talk with me. Um, I know that it's really important that people speak out right now, and I really appreciate your time. Sure, thank you. Yes. Um, so you both lived in Deer Park um, and were roommates back in fall of 2000 and into 2001. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, that's correct. Okay. And if one of you just wants to start out talking about your experience um, when you first moved into Deer Park, I know it was pretty new back then, I believe. Uh, can you just describe, you know, moving in and what it was like there? You know, it was a nice place. It felt safe. We were in college. And it was mostly college students. Um, it felt safe. It felt like it was a good choice um, because it was people our age and it didn't feel like something that was um, going to be a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say uh, it almost felt like a little bit of a step up because I had lived in some other apartment complexes yeah. and this was more of a duplex And so it was more of a, it felt like more like a home than just an apartment. And so it felt like, um, it was newer and it felt like we were taking a step up and kind of Mm -hmm. maturing with our choices of where we were living as well. And were both of you in UGA at the time? Yes. Yes. We actually met our freshman year, um, and we were roommates our sophomore year and then junior year we lived separately and then we lived together our senior year again. And did you either one um, ever meet or know Tara Baker? No. Um, next, I want to say, 
when did something first happen at your home um, where you knew something might be a little wrong or something made you fearful of this new home that you had found? So we were discussing this, trying to remember the exact date our, our duplex was broken into, our half. We were not home, and we cannot for the life of us remember exactly when it was, but we know it was sometime in the fall, probably October, November-ish, that our, our duplex was broken into. And that and that was the obviously the first time that we felt yeah. like something. And it was earth-shattering. It changed both of us. Um, to me, it sounds indefinitely. My husband was telling me that he remembered when we first started dating, which was in my late twenties, that I was scared to be alone in a place. So I think this really set us on a a different trajectory. Mm -hmm. Well, and we weren't ever, I don't know. We were both always very independent kind of girls and never were people Mm -hmm. that were like, Oh, we need somebody there. Oh, we, and we checked on each other and looked in on each other, but we never, really felt the need to always have someone around. Yeah, we did our own thing. Yeah, and after that happened, we we were actually remembering this early, that we were both really funny about being home alone after we were broken into, Mm -hmm. just in general. Like, we were making sure there was a boyfriend around or another friend was with us or that the other one was going to be home about the same time because it just made us really uneasy and it just felt really creepy because of some of the circumstances of the break-in itself. Mm Mm-hmm. Little things like, um, and, and things that were stolen were sort of weird and random. Like my computer was stolen and some jewelry that I had, but really not much other than that, other than some like electronics kind of things. I mean, don't you, I mean, it wasn't really a ton of stuff taken, mm-hmm. but a lot of the items were rummaged through, mm-hmm. like, like our drawers where our clothing was. And it was just creepy that. And lots of things were in disarray, like they were looking for things, but it just was very strange how little was actually missing. Mm. Right. And um, the thing we were talking about earlier was they dusted, they did dust for fingerprints when they came because we were two college girls and we were overwhelmed when the police came and were like, this is scary. But the they found their fingerprints on, on some picture frames in both of our rooms. Mm-hmm. Where that, like, the thumbprint was on the glass, like, they picked it up and looked at it. They weren't rushing through there, like, you would maybe think mm-hmm. happens with a traditional burglary. Like, they're trying to get in and out as quickly as possible. No, these people were, like, looking at our stuff. And and they found a diary, a journal that I had had in my room in a filing cabinet. It wasn't even, like, sitting out. Mm-hmm. And I... I can just remember so clearly when you know I got to go back into our place and I walked into my room and one sheet out of my journal it was laying in the middle of my floor they had ripped out one page you know and this is like personal private information that I'm just kind of pouring my heart out Mm -hmm. into this journal and they took out one page and put it in the middle of the floor and I just felt so violated by that too just like okay you touched our pictures you went through our underwear drawer and now you've got like my private thoughts and you ripped out a page and put it in the middle of my floor so I know you were here reading about me it it just it was very creepy because a break-in is is violating enough and makes you feel um 
insecure and unsafe in your own home. Mm -hmm. But the fact that someone bothered to stop and like, and you could tell they picked up multiple pictures because the thumbprint was on the front in the glass. And we were told that by police officers. Yeah, that's the thumbprint where they picked it up. And so we were both very uneasy after the break in just because we were, they know what we look like. It almost makes you wonder if they were looking for someone else. That's possible. Yeah. So let's go back to that day. So you say that you think that this robbery occurred very soon after you left. Is there a reason that you believe that? Yes. Yeah, so we remembered that, um, so her computer was taken, and um, one of the things that they did to unplug her computer was also they unplugged the alarm clock. Um, that was also in the same like jack, you know, outlet. And um, when we plugged that clock back in, it showed what time it w- had been unplugged at. And when we saw that time, we're like, wait, I was, I had left about thirty minutes before that time. Yeah. You know? So that's how we kind of were able to put a time to when it most likely happened. Mm-hmm. Well, and we had pretty regular schedules because. We had, you know, I mean, our classes, we would go to class. We both had part-time jobs. We both had kind of regular schedules of when we were gone and when we were home. Mm. Right. So it's, if someone was, and I don't think at the time either one of us ever thought of anything being premeditated, like someone was watching for when, because it was told to us, it was most likely a crime of convenience Mm -hmm. because our duplex backed up to like, like, some wooded grassy stuff and then another area that would someone could park in the parking lot walk through the woods and come in our our back our backyard yeah mm-hmm. none of it's like fence or anything yeah it would have just so that they it would have been easy access for someone that was trying to be discreet and not be seen coming in a back window right and and that is how they got in yeah. i was wrong they got in through her window they jimmied it open I, for some reason, I thought it was a door, but it, she and she said because she remembers yeah, my father very clearly, like saying, "All right, we're screwing your windows closed." Like he came up and was trying to take care of us after it happened because we were yeah. so distraught, and that was one of the things he did um, he for added, us. Yeah, he added extra locks on our doors, like chain locks on the two doors, and he literally he screwed the windows in the back of the house where if someone could like come in and not be seen there there was one in the kitchen and one in our, my room and he's literally screwed them shut so that someone couldn't they i mean i guess they could have broken the glass but they had like pulled the screen out and like sh- like shimmied it up and broke the latch mm. and i vividly remember we were talking about we remember there being both of us um muddy footprints like across yes. the and into the kitchen because it had rained and there was like wet outside the window and i had a rabbit a bunny and he had whoever it is stepped on the cage coming through my window first and had like dented in the top of the rabbit cage oh wow yeah so we were i was like no i remember it came in the window I yeah left the most left through the back door because the back door was open but we oh. that they came in through the window mm. okay mm. so there was forced entry on the home yes, yes through, through the window hmm and so, after this incident, you're very shaken up. You Do you follow up with police any after they come to your home? At that yeah. Time, I mean, we did, but I don't think they found anything, and it was kind of like, it was it was a break-in, and they sort of, at, at that exact time, like, 
shortly after. I don't think we heard too much from them immediately after. No, they, and, you know, when it happened, they were like, oh, this was, um, you know, just somebody looking for, uh, you know, electronics. They were just going to probably flip it for some drugs. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of where your story ends. And, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll keep an eye out, but that's that's this. And it's like they just wrote it off. And Well, and um, they did ask for description. I had a few pieces of jewelry stolen that were sort of like unusual mm-hmm. looking that were like decent jewelry. And um, it was two things in particular. And they asked me like to describe it for them or if I had a picture because that was something that they might actually be able to identify like in a pawn shop or somewhere Mm. if it got resold, but the other items weren't something that were easily identifable. Mm -hmm. But Mm. really, truly right after there wasn't much until our next incident. So you would think that that would end it, right? This break-in, however, was not the end of their college living nightmare. It wasn't long before the property's owner was calling them while they were away. Something else had happened in the duplex next door, something much more frightening. So we're again trying to place it. We know it was over a holiday because we were both at our parents' homes. I was out of state, and um, she was at her parents' home, and and I remember uh, getting a phone call, and it was the—I actually believe it was the property manager for Deer Park, and I was like, um, I I just remember him saying. you know, that the, there had been a, a fire. And I was, you know, the first part I was trying to process is how does he know to call me? I'm like way far away for, right now. Like, how did he get this number? And then I realized it was, you know, in case of emergency, call this number. Mm-hmm. And it was my parents' number. Anyway, we get a call. It's the holidays. And um, he said, there's been another incident, there's been a fire, and I'll just never forget him saying, it's like lightning striking twice. I just can't believe something has happened again, because we, when when our robbery happened, like, nothing had happened prior to that in that neighborhood. I want to say they had said something about some car break-ins or something at one point, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, there had not been any home break-ins at the time. And, and, and the thing is, is like, we got really scared from it and we were battling with them about it. Like we want out of our lease. Um, they wouldn't let us out of our lease. Uh, her, her father installed like floodlights on our property, (laughs) screwed the windows closed, you know, and we were scared, but we couldn't leave. And so here we are. And now there's a fire next door and and they're saying, Yeah, it was a month after our robbery, and and now something else has happened, and don't worry, there's a firewall, so your guys' stuff didn't catch on fire, but we believe there's smoke damage, and you guys gotta come back and look at everything. And so... We really think it was Christmas break, because we want to say the other robbery was, like, towards the end of Thanksgiving. Like, we want to say it was, like, those two things were kind of connected. Like maybe someone thought we were gone or something because it was holidays. Um, but we, we want to say that it was Christmas that we had the fire, but we're not positive. We just know it was a holiday. Holiday. It was either, it we was were out of school and at our parents. Yeah. It was one or the other. We just can't, neither one of us can remember which one it was. 
when this fire occurred, so this wasn't actually a duplex, is that right? So it was literally the one connected to your unit? Yes, it was the one yeah. connected. And when you returned, how bad was the damage to your side? You know, theirs was pretty burnt out. Um, I mean, I remember the windows being blacked, and it was kind mm-hmm. of but, um But our side, it really was just like smoke and some water damage just from coming through. But we didn't have... Earlier today, we were laughing because we both remembered our beta fish died because smoke had like settled <laughs> on top of his water. Oh. We're like, oh yeah, our beta fish because of the smoke settling on his water. Mm-hmm. Um, but the really, it wasn't a ton of damage, but there was some smoke stuff. Like I think we had to like have all of our clothes recleaned. Yes, linens, linen, all that. Our linens and like. I want to say we brought like a steamer over and like did like the furniture and our mm-hmm. mattresses because everything just smelled, smelled like, like smoke. Yeah. Hmm. And did so you asked to get out of your lease after the robbery, correct? Yes. And you asked yes. to get out. Did you ask to get out of your lease after the fire? So after that, they immediately relocated us to another house down the street. Mm-hmm. And I think that we were glad just to move because I think our thought process was, well, if this random person who saw our pictures um, is still looking for us, at least we're not in the same place. Mm -hmm. So I think we were a little more um, apt to agree to just move. So literally we like, I mean, I vividly remember us like dragging some of our things down the street a couple stores down. <laughs> like I remember us doing that. I think like carrying stuff. It was just easier just to pick it up and carry it. So <laughs> it was kind of comical and, at the time. And I think at the time, you know, they were telling us, "Oh, this was just an accidental fire." And so maybe on my end i wasn't as much in like a fighting mode because i was yeah. like well, well this was just an accident but our robbery was obviously intentional mm-hmm. you know and so maybe I, I i was kind of like the you know the guy calling like i can't believe something happened again i'm like yeah me neither well this is crazy you know mm-hmm. like but just yeah this fine just move us <laughs> and then it's like and then you get to january and you're like all right now i want out then- of this place. We had to get out of there. Yeah. And so well, when they relocated you, did anything happen at the new unit um, up until Tara was murdered in the community? No, but no. it was shortly after. Mm. Like, it was, I mean, what do you want to say? I mean, I want to say it was like two or three weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it, it wouldn't have been long. No, mm. because we weren't in that actual house for a very long time at all. Mm. Um, it was like... I mean, I want to say we actually physically lived in there less than six to eight weeks mm. um, because it was shortly after we but, get the knock at the door um, alerting us of something that had happened and a detective asking to speak to us. Mm-hmm. When you heard of what happened to Tara, um, were you all home that day or did you hear about it through the news? We I heard was... from a detective knocking on our door. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I did at least. Yeah, and I I can't remember because I was also, you know, um, working yeah. at a part-time job that I uh, discussed with you, mm-hmm. um, Cameron. And, and so I had heard of the incident and arrived at the scene just to kind of – but um, I think that the detective also came to our place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And he knocked on the door and was just like introduced himself. And of course, we're all like, what? And he told us what happened. And then he told us a little bit, and we were trying to remember details about the fire. And basically, he told us that they, it was that the fire attached to our place was suspected arson and like to cover up a robbery. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't really been told that, I think, before that moment. Um, and then he was telling us, he didn't give us a lot of details, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said he came to question us because it seemed like it was possible that someone was escalating their behaviors because we've got our break-in and then what looks like a break-in with a fire and now a break-in fire and a murder Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all within the same and within like three months of each other. Right. right. And yeah, in the same neighborhood. Yeah. And, and also the thing that is shocking to me about all of this is my entire time when I was at school at UGA, I felt relatively safe. Oh, yeah. I, this this was a shocking event Yeah, when it happened. And, I mean, to the point that we can still talk about it today and be like, I cannot believe that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and then to be living there and to have crime happening to us at the same time, I mean... But well, but it was unusual. My my point is, this is a very unusual thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, we didn't have friends that were getting hurt or in trouble or felt unsafe. And we were. I think it's funny. We were both saying how we're kind of shocked we made it through our senior year that year with, you know, without our graduating and without <laughs> saying we needed to move and our grades dropping and like I think. At the time, we were kind of in, like, survival mode of, it's our senior year of college, and we got to get through this, mm-hmm. and what can we do to be safe? Um, and, and, and you know, it was, and I don't know that we each actually connected everything until, until we were spoken to by someone that said there might be a connection. When they came to your house the day of Tara's murder, did they come there talking of the possible connection? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Because he wanted to question us about our robbery. He was a detective. And he wanted details about our robbery and and wanted kind of like our perspective of the things that bothered us. Because I remember us telling him about our pictures again and saying, if this is the same person, he looked at our pictures. He knows what we look like. He knows who we are. Was this on purpose? Was this, and he kind of calmed us down. I kind of remember him being like, we don't think this was, and this is probably him telling us to make us feel better, mm-hmm. but we didn't think it was like a premeditated at that time, especially it, it looked like something that had happened. Mm-hmm. Like it was a spur of the moment thing. So then we were even like, well, thank goodness. Neither one of us had been home when we had our robbery. Exactly. Um, and he, he followed up with us. He wanted specifically asked me about my jewelry because he said maybe we could find a connection. And I don't remember how many other times he reached out to me because we, we then moved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we moved. After, yeah, after her murder. Yeah, um, we, we were like, we want out now. And they and, let us go. Yeah. So at that argue. point, they finally said you can leave. Oh, yes. With no arguments and no anything. We were like, uh, and especially when we said, 
this detective has said to us that there is a possibility that this is connected. And we're like, we can't stay here. And we literally moved to the opposite side of Athens to a gated apartment community mm. with a police officer, like a security person. Yes. Yes. We specifically like requested, you know how they always have like security people that live on site. Mm-hmm. We were like, we want to live by them. <laughs> so we were literally upstairs from the security officer because oh, we wow. were like, it just scared us that this person, it might be a connection and it might not be a coincidence, mm-hmm. you know, that he, it happened. And we just were like, no, we're getting out of here. The detective did um, follow up with me a few times, but not many, but a few times every now and then I hear from him with like a piece of jewelry that they found at a pawn shop that might match what mine was. And I'd be like, no, that's not it. Mm-hmm. So he never found anything, but I do know that he went on the assumption that there was a connection for a while because there's no way he would have kept reaching out to me, asking me if things looked like my jewelry. And I remember two specific times, like following that following year that he asked me if to identify something that wasn't, it ended up not being mine, but, um, but then I just didn't hear from him anymore. Two questions. Um, do you remember what time the detective came to your home on that Friday? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. I don't. And I will say I felt like he cared. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I felt like he cared because the times I heard from him, he would sound very, like, defeated, like, that it wasn't a lead. Does that make sense? Right, right. Like, like he certainly wasn't dismissive. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. Um Especially like it was a difference from what we heard when our first break-in happened of, and they weren't unkind and they obviously like took it seriously. They did take fingerprints. They did look at it uh-huh. broken into, but I think it was chalked up to, well, it's another break-in someone looking for yeah. to hop for drug money, you know, uh, some college kids that got their jewelry and CD stolen, boo-hoo. Exactly. You know. it, but he definitely... You could tell, I don't know, he cared. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He seemed concerned. Mm-hmm. So, and he was very kind to us. Like, like when I said, do you think, I think I remember asking him about moving and he was like, it wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> like, right. like he wasn't telling us, yes, you need to move. But he also didn't say, oh, no, you're fine. Stay here. It was kind of like, you might want to. Like one of those kinds of mm-hmm. Things. Do you think that the property was uncooperative with you until Tara's death? Um, yes. I, I do. I don't, well, okay. Definitely after our burglary mm-hmm. because I got in trouble for my bunny. Because oh, oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> you did. I forgot about that. That was so ridiculous. He was like, the oh my God, property manager was a jerk to me about my rabbit. <laughs> we weren't allowed to have pets. And it was a bunny. <laughs> it was a rabbit. And now I did let him out when we were home. Like he was litter trained and ran around our apartment a lot. But <laughs> it was still a bunny. It was oh. a bunny. And he was a jerk <laughs> to me about it. And I was like, sir, I think we have more issues than the rabbit that lives in my house. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was a not, but after the fire, I do remember them being a little bit more compassionate. Mm-hmm. And, was because I had he, he was more compassionate and was very 
quick to, we have another place for you. You can go right now, today, and it's ready. Here's your key. I mean, they were very, and I want to say they offered to help with the cost of our, like, cleaning our linens and things. Oh, like, wow. like, like they would pay for, like, the laundering service or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they were a lot nicer after the fire. Mm-hmm. And then after the robbery, when when we were, like, doing all those upgrades, yeah, I, I seem to remember they were like, no, you don't need any of that. And, like, yeah. like your dad wanted to put floodlights in, like, sensor lights. And he's yes. like, no, you don't need that. And we're like, well, we're doing it anyway. Mm. And my father was like, I'd like to see you stop me. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> he's he very much a very protective dad and still is. And, um... He was, I remember, I mean, like, he put in floodlights, he installed extra chain locks on our doors, he screwed the two windows shut, I mean, he was, and that's when, because I want to say, we can't remember when we got the dog, but I had a dog that was at home that came to live with us, because I think that's how the rabbit drama started, is I said something about bringing a dog, and he was like, well, you're not even supposed to have the rabbit, and was like, all mad at me about the rabbit, so... (laughs) Let's see. This is probably my final two questions here. Um, the first one I would have is, did you ever have an encounter with the maintenance man of the property? I don't know, honestly. So, so I think when we, when I, now before, so I lived there longer. Mm-hmm. Like I lived there and a roommate moved out and then. And then I moved in. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I want to say the only encounter I may have had had something to do with a washer and dryer being hooked up. Mm-hmm. But that would have been like a didn't while you, before. Didn't you live there your junior year? Yeah, I lived there. Yeah, so you would, have, you would have been there over a year before so a robbery was, happened. Yeah, it was a, yeah, I was there actually like a year and a half before a robbery happened. Robbery happened. I, yeah. I see. And, um, so, and I think that might have been part of our false sense of security, too, is you had already been living there for a while. And then she moved in because another roommate moved out and they swapped places. Mm-hmm. And it was a safe, great place. Like we thought she, I think she felt she was stepping up, like she said, because I loved it there and mm-hmm. never had any issues. Um, but I do think the only time I can ever think we may have had somebody come in at one point was I think we had like a washer dryer hookup issue or something at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it may have just been like, but that's the only thing I can think of. There was a report I was able to maintain to confirm this fire at the neighboring duplex from the athens Clark County Fire Department. And though the property owner told the residents the fire was of electrical origins, 20 years later we're finding out that was not the case at all. The report clearly states that the fire found in a closet, perhaps clothes being on fire, was intentionally set. They said it, quote, looks suspicion. Arson? Yes. It's also interesting to note that after the burglary, the property owner would not let these women out of their lease. After the fire at the adjoining unit, they still would not let them out of their lease. But after the murder of Tara Louise Baker, the women were free to go. You see, I believe their experiences are true, and I appreciate them so much for speaking out. You know, they really are brave, like I've said before, and my gratitude is never-ending. When we come back, we'll discuss what could have possibly been behind this type of theory and angle of the case, and Tara's roommate Valerie is here to discuss what she remembers about the place she called home. We'll be right back. 
Alrighty, we are here with Donna Chang's owner, Ryan Sims. Ryan, how are you? I'm great, Cameron. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking time to listen into the podcast each week. Yeah, of course. I'm, uh, I'm addicted to it. <laughs> uh, well, I just wanted to reach out and see how's Donna Chang's doing? How is the restaurant maintaining and adjusting its sales during these times? Sure, yeah. We're hanging in there. It's a crazy time. Um, but, of course, our, our primary goal is safety for our team and our guests. So right now we're still doing takeout only. So we do have some tables outside set up so folks can eat their food picnic style if they want. We're also offering beer and wine to go. And then glasses of wine, beer, and cocktails for those who want to um, hang out on the sidewalk and have a few drinks with us. My personal favorite is the aviation. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it sells pretty well. Awesome. My wife's favorite as well. And last but not least, how can people get in touch with you to place their orders? Sure. Um, they can order online at DonnaChanks.com. They can call us at 706-215-9100. Or the best way, really, is to follow us on Instagram at DonnaChanks.com. There's a link in our bio that sends you right to our, our order online system. But also, that's the best place to kind of keep up to date, check out our new specials that we, we have. We're trying to run sort of Instagram-only specials as well. So. Great, great. Well, everyone, make sure to catch Donna Chang's Athens um, information in our podcast episode description this week. Ryan, thanks again. Thanks, Cameron. Welcome back. I got to catch up with Tara's roommate and my new friend, Valerie, who's been so supportive of the podcast since day one. So thanks, Valerie. Um, I wanted to know how she felt about Deer Park back then and if she was aware of what was going on around her and what she might remember 20 years later. Here's a bit of our conversation from today, Wednesday. Um, Well, I just wanted to reach out. This week we're talking about Deer Park, um, and I just wanted to call and ask you what you remember about the community because, you know, um, you and Carol were roommates there at 160 Farm Drive. Can you just tell me a little bit about what you remember? Yeah, we um, we moved in there that summer, the July, the summer before school started and that summer before she passed away. And we decided that we wanted to find a house that the three of us could live in. Uh, Ashley and I had lived prior years in Polo Club, which was a little bit further out. And so this, this was a little bit further out even than Polo Club on the east side. But we liked the house. Um, it was a newer house uh, for us to be moving into. And so it was just something that we felt like would work for us with um, given where our classes were or you know how our commutes would be. It, it worked for all three of us. So that's how we found the place there. Mm-hmm. And did you ever have any trouble um, during the time that you lived there in regards to break-ins, uh, suspicious activity, anything like that? No, we did not have um, any break-ins personally at our house. We were really good about making sure our car doors were locked and things like that. But I do remember uh, one one particular evening, and I'm not sure why I remember this, but Ashley and I's bedrooms were both on the front, one on each side of the house. And I remember I woke up in the middle of the night and a police, uh, like a spotlight, was flashing in the in our you know front yard or whatever so i guess they were canvassing the neighborhood and you know never did really question it just assumed it was part of just their routine safety patrol in college uh, you know dorms and apartment complexes so that was really the only thing that i remember uh after this long i did talk to ashley and do she remembered at the time there were um, some break-ins around us uh, but i did not remember that obviously because it didn't impact us uh thankfully at our place but she did remember 
uh, that there there had been some um, you know random break-ins in the apartment complex. But you know I assume that that's probably routine at larger you know complexes or neighborhoods in, in you know college communities. So, but I did not remember that that part. Okay. And um, do you remember if um, the property or the police ever knocked on your door just to let you know that something was going on in the community related to a string of robberies or anything like that? No, I don't remember, you know, anything like that or a notice or a knock on the door or a phone call or anything around letting any of us know. Um, I had friends that lived in um, the same neighborhood. I had friends that lived in the apartment complex that's right there on the main highway there, um, and I don't remember you know, any of us having conversations about that. Obviously, it didn't impact any of us personally, um, but then, again, I don't remember any notification about things happening at the time. Did you ever have a work order completed by a property um, personnel while you were living there? I don't remember that. Um, they, I think from time to time they would come in to change like air filters or things like that because that was something that I think was a question, um, you know, when we were working with the police at the time, the investigation, just to wonder, you know, who might have been in and out of the house. And that's the only thing that I remember. Um, like I said, it was a newer, uh, it was a new house, so I don't remember anything breaking or the air or anything like that going out. But, you know, I do remember, uh, you know, from time to time, I believe that they would come in and, you know, just do regular maintenance with air filters and things like that. But that there was nothing out of the ordinary. Now I'm sure your head is probably spinning. Why did Cameron J. bring up a maintenance man? Well, I don't do anything without good reason, right? There is a theory that has been floated about in online forums and community gossip and amongst officials for quite some time, and I can understand why. The connection of possibly someone connected to the property? Again, this is just a theory. So let's do this. Let's think about some of what we've heard in these crime-related incidents in Deer Park and what we know to be true about Tara's case. Number one, in most cases, there was forced entry to either a vehicle or a home. In Tara's case, there was not the appearance of forced entry. Number two, most victims had property and things of value taken, multiple things. In Tara's case, the only item missing was the laptop, and yes, there was jewelry, all around to be taken, an unlocked car to rummage through, a car that I have recently learned, by the way, was never processed, and there were valuable antiques all around. Finally, remember this. Valerie once again has just confirmed that these young women were proactive about personal safety. So with no forced entry, it does beg the question, right? So what if the person who entered Tara's apartment did not know her at all? and was not let in by her, but instead had access to the apartment. You know, like a maintenance man or a property employee. They would know the ins and outs of the apartment, after all, and they would have been able to know who was coming and going at when and what time, especially if they spent a lot of time on site. But would they choose an apartment that's occupied? The others strategically did not. No one was home. It is important to note also that I'm not pointing any fingers again. We're just discussing theories. I need your help here as I think all of this out loud. Under this theory, we have to think, though, perhaps the person knew of the string of robberies and covered their tracks by making Tara's murder and concealing of it appear similar. After all, we do have a break-in with a computer stolen, then we have a break-in with a fire, and then we have a break-in with a fire and a tragic murder. Coincidence? Maybe. Copycat? Also, maybe. Connected to someone else? Think on it. You decide. 
or perhaps you might even know. So don't stop reaching out or talking. Now is the time to come forward and help me help the bakers heal, to help Athens heal. One thing is certain, though, the crime going on in Deer Park, sent over the edge by the murder of Tara Louise Baker, was not what we call a good look for anyone, including the property. I will keep you updated as more develops on new requests which have been filed and more information which has literally poured in on episode 10 as we move throughout the week. Your commitment to this journey with me is what keeps me going, so thank you. To the people who have donated to help us sustain, to those who have emailed their words of gratitude, or who have called in with their stories of truth, you are part of finding justice for Tara, too. Next week, we're circling back around to the laptop lead I keep mentioning. I know, I know, you've been on the edge of your seat about it for some time. But I want to explain one thing to you. Sometimes sources do not talk overnight, and relationships are not cultivated overnight either. Trust must be built, and I appreciate your patience in this. Who had that laptop? Where did it possibly go? I have a man who says he knows, and other sources to back it up 20 years later. Next time on Classic City Crime, I'm Cameron J. Thanks for tuning in. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J. Designed and co-produced by Kyle Keziah. You can find us on the web at ClassicCityCrime.com, social media, Instagram, Facebook, at Classic City Crime. And you can always email us at ClassicCityCrime at gmail.com. You may have the clue we're looking for. We'll see you next week. <laughs>